Um, yeah, it was about four years ago we got to be with you, and uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Always a, a treat uh, to get to come over to the coast. I'm sure you hear that every single time a visitor comes and speaks at your church, but uh, what a blessing it is to get to come over. We're, we're in the valley. We're in the central valley. We're, we're based in, in Visalia, Visalia for the year, so it's, uh, it's nice to come over and, and get some fresh air. So, uh, literally. <laughs> and so... Um, so you see, uh, our family, we added one uh, since the last time that we were here. Uh, Carrie is home with the two little ones this morning. Uh, logistically, it didn't quite work out to make it over here this morning, but uh, we've got our older ones here with us visiting with uh, Miss Hillary, uh, and so had a, had a nice reunion with her this morning. We haven't seen her in a few years, but, but she had a great uh, ministry and, and was a, a tremendous help. Uh, to us when we transitioned back to the Czech Republic in 2011. Uh, and I was telling somebody uh, this morning what, what a blessing it was. And when, when Hillary came, it was really, I felt bad about it because she really worked hard. <laughs> she, she came to serve because it was a hard time for us. We were in transition and uh, uh, we were having a, a baby. And, and, you know, of course, we didn't have grandma or, or anybody there to help us. And, and that was Hillary. Hillary was there to to really help and, and serve. And so, regrettably, she didn't get to see um, a lot of the things that we would have liked her to see in the Czech Republic. And, uh, and she, but she never complained about it. She was a super good sport, but she was such a blessing to us while she was there. Um, and so, uh, we are missionaries in the Czech Republic, which today is the most atheistic, least religious nation in the entire world. Um, we are serving in a region of the Czech Republic that is about 02 to 0.3% Christian. Uh, I know that often we don't think of Europe as, as unevangelized, but that makes uh, the region that we're ministering in far less reach than the vast majority of places, even in the 1040 window. And so um, there are unreached people groups even in the heart of Europe today, and that's where we are serving but as we get into the Word this morning, I'll, I'll tell you more about that. Um, I, I'm passionate about a few things uh, besides God and my family, fishing, coffee, and the Czech Republic. And so, so you'll excuse me if I, I, I just like to talk about the Czech Republic. And so, uh, so as I'll weave in illustrations mostly from, from the Czech Republic as we look at the Word this morning. But I want to share with you a very small glimpse into the ministry uh, of Jesus, and so small, in fact, that, that it's only mentioned in one gospel. Usually uh, in the ministry of Jesus, or often we, we can see it, you know, in two, three, or maybe all four gospels and kind of get a well-rounded view of it. And in this particular passage that we're going to look at uh, in Luke 9 it is only in, in the book of Luke. And so it's a, kind of a, a small window, uh, but, but the view from here uh, is beautiful. And uh, since we are missionaries, I want to stick with that theme, and I chose a passage that, that goes with that theme. And, and Jesus came to the world um, on, on mission, we could say, and he sent us into the world as himself on mission. He gave us the, the Great Commission. And so if you are here this morning and you are a child of God, if you've been redeemed, if you've been bought by Jesus, then, then you have been commissioned You've been commissioned by, by Jesus himself to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to seek and save the lost. 
and, and we're missionaries in the Czech Republic, but, but, but whether you're where you, you were born and raised or, or where you live, wherever you live, whether it's here or overseas, you've been commissioned. The commissioning is the same. It's the same, whether you're a missionary or, or not, whatever you call yourself. And so that is our, our launching point for, for our message this morning. And so if we could look at Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. We can read. Do we normally stand when we read? I don't know what your tradition is here. No? Yes? Well, let's stand for, as we, as we, in, in reverence for, for God's word. So we look at what he has to say to us this morning in, in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, reading from the NASB. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them and he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. And sit down. And, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, as, as we look into your word this morning, Lord, we pray a, a, a simple prayer um, that, that your people would be blessed, that your people would be encouraged to go out from here this morning and be more like you and to make disciples. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have this morning, if, if you'll allow me, um, we could say we have three B attitudes. Uh, I have three points this morning. It's a three-point message. Three B attitudes as we engage in evangelism, or we engage in the Great Commission. And the first one is this. Um, be determined. Be determined. And this is probably... The, really the main point of this message this morning. So the first one's the most important. It says, the days were approaching for his ascension, and he was uh, going to ascend. He was literally going up to Jerusalem, where he would be lifted up on a cross, and where he would be received up in, a, in a, another kind of a glorious ascension. And he was, so he was headed to Jerusalem, and he knew what was going to happen there? Because if we, if we look back in, in, Luke chapter, in Luke 9, we know that in Luke 9, Jesus tells people that if you want to come after me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. We kind of take that for granted because we see everything in, in retrospect, 2020. We know all about the crucifixion and, and have an idea what that means. But, but Jesus said that long before he was ever crucified. And, and so it's pretty clear that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and exactly what following him was going to look like for, for believers in the future. And even still, he was determined. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. And, and the translators have, have done us a service here. They've interpreted a bit for us. Um, it says he determined to go up to Jerusalem, but, but in the original language, it, it says he set his face toward. He set his face. He set his face toward Jerusalem. So he, he knew what was, what was coming, and he was going purposely towards his execution. He was determined to get to his execution. And this was, this was prophesied. This was prophesied in, in Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7. 
in Isaiah 56 and 7, it says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He steadfastly set his, his face like flint, it says. And, and you know, flint is a, is a hard sedimentary rock, and, and it's such that, you know, if you strike it against steel, you make a spark, useful, therefore, for uh, making fire. Uh, but, but to set your face like flint, to set your face like flint, it means that, that, that he was determined. He was determined to do something uh, even in the midst of, of opposition, in the midst of adversity, because that's what, that's what flint does, right? It stands up to steel because it's so hard, and that's what produces the friction and the spark. And so um, he was prepared for adversity. And I, and I imagine that, that most of us would say that, that we would be willing to suffer some adversity for Christ's sake. We all, we all do that one way or another. Um, it's interesting to note the kind of adversity that Jesus faced, though. Um, he says, I, will not, I am not disgraced. I will not be ashamed, because that's exactly the thing that he was going to be facing, was shame. And, and I think oftentimes we give ourselves the luxury of thinking that if we face persecution, I'm going to stand strong, you know, if, uh, you know, renounce Jesus or die or something like this. And I was like, yes, I would stand up for Jesus. But, but that's not the kind of persecution that typically comes to Christians, um, it's usually shame. It's usually for being a heretic. I mean, the irony is what, what was Jesus, what, what did his accusers have him crucified for? For being a blasphemer. Jesus, the word of God, made flesh, was crucified for blaspheming. The very opposite. The very opposite of what he was, uh, was his crime that people hated him for. And, and so uh, persecution often comes with shame. And you, have, you may have heard that of, of a man named John Huss. Uh, we say in English John Huss, but uh, in Czech they say Jan Hus. Uh, he, was, he was the reformer before the reformers. He was about 100 years before Martin Luther. He was burned alive uh, at the stake by, by the Pope in, in the year 14 through 15. And and he coined a turn of phrase that you probably have heard if you haven't heard his name. He was the one that, that coined the phrase justification by grace through faith alone. You may have thought that came from Martin Luther, but it did not. Um, and, and this John Huss, he was, he was Czech. Uh, he was a Czech guy. Uh, and he ignited a movement uh, in his, uh, with his teaching and with his martyrdom uh, of free church Christians that, that swept through the Czech lands Again, remember today, this is the most atheistic nation in the world. But in the 16th century, uh, after Jan Hus's uh, teachings took hold and the, and the church started spreading, it's estimated that approximately 90% of Czechs were Protestant Christians. There was a Christian school in literally every town in the Czech Republic so that people could learn to read and read the Bible. Uh, and, and Jan Hus, uh, John Hus, this great teacher in this great movement that followed him, this great working of the Holy Spirit. He was born just 20 miles from where we live in the Czech Republic. Uh, and, and this region that we live in, southern Bohemia, where he was born, is today the least Christian, most, 
most atheistic region of the most atheistic, least religious nation in the world. So it's really spun around in, entirely. Uh, but in that time, uh, God had a purpose, and, and the Roman church ruthlessly persecuted. They led five papal crusades against the Czech lands uh, to drive these Christians out. And, and in just a few years, um, between the time of, of Jan Hus's teachings and, and the free church movement there uh, and the early 1600s, the, the population of the Czech Republic was reduced from 3 million to 800,000. Um, just by the displacement and the, and the murder of, of Christian people, uh, drove them out of the Czech lands. And, and so, but God had a purpose in that. These people fled over the borders uh, all around the Czech lands, lots of them landing in Switzerland and Germany. And, and since these people were basically refugees anyway, they no longer had a homeland, uh, they said, well, let's just go all over the world and take the gospel. And they, they organized themselves into missional groups and they by this time, about 100 or so years after Jan Hus, uh, 200 years after Jan Hus, they had started calling themselves the Moravians. You may have heard of the Moravian church. Um, but these Moravians, these were Czechs. These were the Czech people. And they became the first Protestant missionaries to Scandinavia, the Arctic, Africa, the Far East, North and South America, the Caribbean, they were the first Christian missionaries to minister to Native Americans. They were who inspired Wesley. They were the first Christian missionaries to, to minister to African-American slaves in the colonies. They are basically the founders of what we know as the modern missions movement. They are the model that we follow. And so the gospel has bloomed all over the world in large part because of Czech missionaries who have long faded into obscurity uh, today. And in this ironic kind of turn of history, me and my family, we've set our faces like Flint as, as missionaries to the Czech Republic. <laughs> it's come around again, uh, this, this unevangelized, completely atheistic region. It was 2005. Yeah, 2005. I was working... As a, as a mail contractor for the U.S. Postal Service. I survived. Um, and, and Carrie, my wife, and I, we knew that when we had gotten married that the Lord had called us to the mission field. Um, but we were a little frustrated because we were sensing that it was time to go. Uh, but we, while we had a common calling, we didn't have a common vision for what that would look like. I was, I was pretty convinced that, that the Lord wanted us to go to sub-Saharan Africa and she was convinced that the Lord was leading us to China, and never the two shall meet. And it was a bone of contention for a little while for us, you know. Just and then, and then really, just kind of became a point of frustration that, that we were eager to go, but not knowing what what that should look like. And I pulled over in my mail car one afternoon. I remember coming to the end of myself, really, and praying a prayer of surrender, and, and said, kind of throwing up my hands. I said, Lord, I don't know where you want us to go. Just send us where you need us. Just send us wherever you need a missionary right now. That's where we want to go. And immediately, uh, I had this burden for, for Eastern Europe that fell on my heart that I knew that, that had to be from the Lord because I never had any desire to even travel in Europe, much less commit to a lifetime of ministry there. And so, um, and all of a sudden, that's what I wanted was to go to Eastern Europe, just all in this one afternoon. And 
And so as I finished my route and I headed home and I was going to talk to Carrie about it, and I got home and, uh, and Carrie said, honey, we need to talk. Um, and she kind of let it up something like, I don't remember her exact words, but she was kind of like, no, I just want you to sit and listen and don't, don't react. I just want you to listen and pray about it because I don't think you're going to like what I have to say, but I just really need you to hear me out and, and don't respond right away. Just, just take some time. And, and she said, I was praying today, and I really feel like the Lord is leading us to Eastern Europe. <laughs> and I said, well, funny thing. And then, um, and then later that afternoon, uh, we got an email from our, from our agency that we had just kind of begun the, our mission organization that we had just kind of begun the preliminary steps with, and they had emailed us and said, hey, we're looking for a, for a missionary family to, 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 to open up some ministry in the Czech Republic. Is this something you guys would be interested in? And so... Uh, that's kind of how that, that progressed. But I can say, so we had a pretty firm calling from the beginning. We were pretty convinced, and a number of other things, but we were convinced that, that the Lord has led our family to do ministry in the Czech Republic. And, and if we weren't convinced of that calling, if we weren't determined, um, we probably would have quit a long time ago because um, we have faced opposition and discouragement. And it's funny, my brother said that, that I shared some of those struggles this morning, and I thought, oh, I didn't realize that I'd, I'd shared enough to, to notice because um, I've learned not to share that much about it, um, not to share about a lot of the discouragements and the things because, because um, frankly, uh, it's kind of a downer. <laughs> we, when we came back to report to our sending church, uh, they were kind of asking us some of our struggles, and, and I kind of, we had just gotten back from the field. We were really tired. Uh, and really burdened by a lot of these struggles, and I just kind of opened up and told them all the things. And then I, I'm done sharing, and I look around, and, and all the old ladies are bawling. <laughs> said, oh, maybe this wasn't entirely edifying. <laughs> and, and so, um, anyway, so I don't want to spend time there this morning, but, but when you set about to do something, when you set your face, uh, when you're determined, um, I guess um, that, that, that we can expect that we're going to face opposition that we're going to need that determine this. We will be opposed. But I want to encourage you this morning to have the guts, to have the guts to be determined about something. And that's really, again, my main point. I'm going to spend time here, uh, and I have two more points, but, but, but be determined. We get a lot of, and I might step on your toes, and I hope, you know, I, I like being a guest preacher because, because I can step on your toes and leave. But... We get, a lot of, we get away with a lot of idleness as Christians um, for lack of being determined. And what I mean by that is, um, well, how about this? Um, we're missionaries, and if I told you that, that every year we set yearly goals for, for our ministry, what we would like to see accomplished this year, and we set five-year goals for further out. This is what we also do in business. Uh, we do this personally in our families with our finances and various other things, right? We, we kind of have to do these things. This is part of life. And if I told you that we do that as missionaries, you'd be like, well, yeah, that's what we would expect from you. If you're a good missionary, if you're a good vocational minister, you should do that, right? Um, shouldn't we all be doing that? Really? I mean, like I said, we kind of do that in other areas of our lives. Why don't we do it with our, with our ministry, with our, with our Christian service? 
somehow because I'm a vocational minister, that's expected from me, but uh, maybe because I'm getting paid to do it. I don't know, but, but isn't that what we're all responsible for? Um, shouldn't we have goals? Shouldn't we have some objectives, some things that we'd like to see accomplished in ministry, in our personal ministry? And just imagine if every single person or family in this church this morning set some goals for the next year that are ministry-related. So this is what we would like to see accomplished in Cambria this year. This is what I would like to see accomplished in my neighborhood. And, and, and I, I don't mean, and this is not a, a bang-you-over-the-head, guilt, convert a bunch of people kind of message. This is just set some reasonable objectives for ourselves. I know that, that you might not be able to, to lead your kooky, cat-collecting neighbor to the Lord this year. Um, that's not... That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. Oftentimes, when we think about think, like setting goals, it's like, well, if I can't do the ultimate thing, if I can't you know, lead this person to Christ, then uh, it's just discouraging. It seems overwhelming. That's not even what I'm talking about. How about just determine that this year you're going to, be, to do everything that you can to be an active reflection, reflection of the loving kindness of Christ to your neighbor or whoever. What might that look like? And go from there. How can we be that? How can we be Jesus to the people around us? Um, and if you only take one, one thing this morning from, from, the mes- from this message, it's determine how you can be on mission in a Christ-like way in your community right where you're at and go from there. But second point, second point, and that is, I'll, I'll get off your toes. Second point is, is be gracious. Um, be gracious. Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him uh, to prepare the way. Uh, and this wasn't like an entourage going to, to make way for a king. Um, but, but Jesus, uh, Jesus, as we see him in the, in the Gospels, he was exceedingly gracious and he was exceedingly civil. We know that everywhere he went, um, he, he was an impeccable guest. Um, he was never a burden on people. Uh, if, he had, if they had received him in the Samaritan village, he would have undoubtedly healed sick people. He would have been a blessing to the people that he came to. And, and we may have even seen some new miracles or something recorded in the scriptures, but it didn't happen um, because they turned him away. And yet Jesus was exceedingly gracious. He didn't reprimand him. Uh, his disciples wanted to. Uh, they turned him away. And he didn't even rebuke them. He didn't even rebuke these, these Samaritans for their sinfulness. He wasn't harsh. In fact, it's hard to think of a circumstance. Uh, I could be wrong because I didn't made a, a thorough study of it, but it's hard to think of a circumstance when Jesus was really harsh with a sinner. He was harsh with religious people. When he was harsh, he was harsh with religious people, not with the sinners. And, and if we look at uh, how, if we can kind of look at Peter's, Progression. If you remember Peter, Peter is our, uh, oftentimes, I don't know if it's fair, but it seems like it probably is, that he was kind of the resonant hothead uh, among the disciples, quick to act, slow to think, um, had a temper. Uh, he was vociferous and, and vocal and things like that, and that was a gift. Uh, in many ways, it, it was used well eventually. Uh, and we see that even Peter, even Peter, who was a little bit rough around the edges, as he followed Christ, learned to be gracious. And we know that because when we look at his letter, 
uh, in 1 Peter. If we look in 1 Peter, the letter that Peter wrote, one of them, uh, we hear a candor from Peter that we don't see uh, early on in the Gospels because uh, Peter became more and more Christ-like. If you read 1 Peter in chapter 3, this is Peter. You'd, you'd expect that this would be like John, the beloved writing this, but, but this is Peter. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. It's a lot different Peter than the one who wants to call down fire and brimstone, <laughs> right? He's obviously matured. He's become a lot more gracious in his, in his older years as he writes that. In our little neighborhood that, that we live in, in, in the Czech Republic, um, one of the things that we love to do is uh, our, our neighbors on the weekends frequently like to get together and, and kind of grill out. Um, and, and we all get together in this guy, Marek's backyard. He's built a fire pit back there. And, and when they grill out, they build like a campfire, and then they have this like marble slab that, on, a, on a metal frame that they lay over it, and we cook whatever meat uh, you bring. And, and it's great because we all just sit around and, and grill our meat and, and chew the fat and, and talk and get to know each other. And uh, it's, these are some of our, our, our favorite memories. The kids run around and play together. Um, uh, and we love it because we, we like it when, you know, we do a lot of ministry that's programmed, but, but it's really fun to do ministry that isn't programmed, when, when ministry just happens. Um, that's exciting. And, and this neighbor, Marek, uh, frequently approaches things of the faith, things of our faith, with us. Uh, Marek is, is an atheist, um, and yet it's funny. Being an atheist, he loves to talk about God. Um, you know, every time we get together, he's, he, he's given me the, the nice degree about this or that or the other thing. And, and one, one evening in particular, I remember that we had a really long discussion. He turns to me, and, and I know he was baiting me, and that's why I can smile about it. But he turns to me and says, Steve, I think your God is a murderer. And, uh, and then he goes on to explain, you know, there's all these children dying in the world and all these terrible things happen. If your God has the power to stop it, and he doesn't, then he's a murderer. And, uh, you know, if, is he not culpable if he does not stop evil and he has the power to? And, and these, uh, you know, he's thinking about things. And, and we had a great talk that night for a long time uh, about who God is and, and what his nature is and, and what faith in him looks like. And, and I'm not offended uh, I, I, sometimes I think Marek comes to me with things like this all the time. Steve, your God's a murderer. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes he'll come uh, you know, with things that, that he starts disparaging the Catholic Church, thinking he's going to offend me, and he kind of misses. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that very much either. But, the, um, <laughs> but, but anyway, he's always trying to draw me in. And, and, and I guess the point is, is that, um, that I can be gracious, um, that we can be gracious with, with Marek's because... Um, because I'm more interested in Marek, I'm more interested in, in Marek's spiritual condition than I am about trying to be defensive. Um, God, God can defend his own name. Uh, I'm more concerned about Mark, and I think that's what God is concerned about too. Uh, God's concerned about Mark's soul. 
and Mark. And I think because I've always been gracious to Mark about these kinds of things, that, that he continues to come. And Mark is not converted. I don't even know if he's close. Um, but he continues to ask. He's obviously interested uh, and wants to know more. Uh, which leads me uh, to my third point, and that is this. It's be perceptive. Be perceptive. Um, Czechs have long been uh, the most atheistic people in the world, statistically speaking. 84% atheist by, by recent surveys. And, um, and yet, other missionaries and Czech ministers that we've talked to in the Czech Republic have largely had the same experience that, that we have had. That they are atheist, agnostic, and yet at the same time, very open to talking about God, very open to hearing about the gospel. They're willing to initiate conversations about God, and, and they're keenly interested in, in spiritual things. It's just that they really, really don't like organized religion. And, and in their mind, they have a hard time divorcing organized religion and faith. Uh, they, they despise organized religion, and, and often God gets lumped in with that, and so they expel them both. But, but what is exciting uh, in our interaction with people and getting to show them uh, what true faith in Christ is like is that, that we find that the question that they're really asking, uh, the question that a lot of people like Marek are really asking is, well, who is the God that I don't believe in? <laughs> and I love that question. That's a question I can sink my teeth into. Uh, and so as missionaries, we have this great privilege. Um, it's, really, uh, it's really hard in a lot of ways to be in a place where there's so few Christians, where there's so few resources, uh, there's not a lot of support. And yet on the other hand, we're getting to talk to people about faith in Christ that, have, that don't even know the fundamentals of who God is. The idea that God is good is not something they would have come to on their own. So for me to say that God is good? Oh, really? How so? Uh, and so that, that is exciting. And, um, and, but, but we have to be perceptive with, with people like Marek and, and so many like him that, that if we pried a little deeper, uh, we would see the source of their distrust, the source of wounding. Um, the Czech nation um, suffered a lot of blows um, by, by religion by the Roman church um, that have festered uh, for generations. You see people uh, seeking meaning and yet at the same time um, terrified of being dominated by some kind of uh, all, all explanatory answer. They don't like religion. They don't want another master. They had the Roman master for centuries and then they had the communist master for generations uh, and they're very, they do not want a system they do not want to be organized and lumped into a group again. And so uh, coming to faith for a Czech atheist is a long process of gaining trust, uh, of learning the true nature of God. And, uh, and, you know, I don't, the truth is, I don't think Czechs are so different than most of our neighbors. Um, everyone has their, their wounding and their perceptions of what and who God is. So be gracious, be perceptive. These Samaritans, um, like so many people that we know, reject Christ because of 
deception. Um, the, the response to someone who's been deceived, the response to a slave to sin, the response to someone who's been mastered by our enemy is compassion. And we, not, we ought not be shocked or, or dismayed um, when sinful people act like sinful people. We're, we claim to be believers and regenerate, and, and we're pretty sinful. <laughs> and, and, and so if we haven't even made a choice to, to, to follow Christ, do not be shocked. We have to be gracious about that. Um, Jean was, or Jesus was, was keenly aware of this um, when he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. These Samaritans in, in Luke 9, um, as you probably know, the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along so well. Um, they were reviled by the Jews. You know why? They were perverters of the truth. These Samaritans were perverters of the truth because they profaned God with their worship. Um, they thought that they were honoring him. The Samaritans did. They thought that they were honoring him. They had, they had a, an earnest religion of their own. Um, and, and how this came to be was, uh, you know, the Jews were led into exile uh, by the Assyrians. But, of course, the Assyrians didn't scour the countryside and gather up every single Jewish person they could find and lead them into exile. It was just the vast majority of Jews. And so there remained a certain number of Jews still in the land of Israel during the time of the captivity. And in the meantime... There was this great void, and so the heathen peoples from around Israel moved into that good land, and they intermarried and, and mixed in with, uh, with these Jewish remnants, and they evolved a form of Judaism. Um, they worshipped the one true God. They kept the Pentateuch, the, five, the first five books of the Bible. And, um, but among their chief offenses is that they set up another place of worship. Jerusalem was in shambles. So they set up a new temple. It made sense to them. They set up a new temple on, on Mount Gerizim. And, and that's where they worshipped. And so as the Jews return to their homeland, they run into these Samaritans that are an abomination because they're worshipping. It's perverted. They've, they're worshipping in the wrong place. Um, they're not using all the scriptures. Um, and there was this, this great enmity between them, so much so that, that, that a good a good Jew would not pass through a Samaritan city or even through their lands. And so here comes Jesus. And we've already seen him work among the Samaritans. You know, he, he was with the woman at the well and all of that. And there was an eager and open response among the Samaritans. What we read in Scripture is that this is the one example when the Samaritans are viewed in a negative light. Here in Luke chapter 9, every other time, the Samaritans are it's mostly a positive encounter. They're receptive to Christ. Um, there's, there's fruit among them. And so, not like, not like the Jews. The Jews who, people, who, who Jesus came for, um, uh, there were obviously many Jewish followers, but, but, but the Jewish leaders rejected Christ. Uh, and so, it might stand to reason, it might stand to reason that being rejected by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, as Jesus was, that Jesus the Messiah would come to them. They were worshiping God too. They were trying to worship the one true God. The Messiah comes. He's rejected by the Jews. And here's the Samaritans who have received him. Might not the Messiah 
come and minister among them? Might he not validate them and their reception of him? Might, they even, might he even validate their place of worship? I don't know. He would have been gladly received among the Samaritans. That's what, the, what we typically have seen so far in the New Testament. But he didn't validate them. He still intended to go up to Jerusalem. Uh, he, he, he didn't settle things between them and the Jews the way that they had hoped. And they were angry. They were, they were hurt. He was still going to go up to Jerusalem because that's where he was on his way in this particular point. And so, uh, so, they were, so the Samaritans end up being, in many ways, like the Jews, disillusioned. Disillusioned with Jesus. And, and so there's more going on here than maybe meets the eye. And how true is that of people in general? Not just people groups, but but people. People hurt. And people's eyes, because of hurt, are, are often blind to things. And it's only by God's grace that we've come to him at all. And, and, and often it, it doesn't come out as hurt. Um, it comes out as animosity, as anger, apathy, agnosticism and atheism is what is it what is at the core of all those things it's it's hurt and disillusionment and not not being able to receive truth and and jesus surprisingly was was not offended he was not offended when the samaritans rejected him we don't get any any sense of that he was compassionate and jesus response to the people who have rejected him is is evidence of this his 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 faith, he was still going up to Jerusalem. He was still going to go die for him. They rejected him, and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to march on through. I'm, I'm still going to die for you. And so in John 12, 46, we're going we're gonna to end here. It says in John 12, 46 through 48, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. That's a powerful verse, but, but this is our, our present commission. This is our, our job. Our ministry is, is to be light as Jesus, to be a reflection of Christ. It's to take his word. Because his word is what is what will judge in the end. His word is what will be the judge. And our job is not to convert. Our job is to take the word. Our job is to take his message. And people can receive it or reject it. And we do everything in our power. We are determined to get it to them so that they can respond. And this is, and sometimes in order to do that, we have to humble ourselves. We have to take up our cross and be willing to bear shame, to bear offense, to bring the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world that's sinking in its own depravity and might not want it. And we do it anyway. And we love people anyway. And the time of judgment will come 
And Jesus references it here, that, um, that, that it will come. And we should see the reality of, of what that is and how serious that is, that there will be a judgment. And God's will is that no man should perish, or God desires that no man should perish. And so we still have time. We don't know how much. And so my encouragement again to you this morning is to be gracious, be perceptive, but, but probably above all, is to be determined. Set in your heart that, that you're going to do something this year. Amen.